0: Good morning and thank you so much for joining us. This is the Out of Order podcast series. Today we're going to be doing a special episode on the Huawei and 5G debate. Uh, One purpose of this podcast at GMF is to identify and examine challenges within the transatlantic relationship. And I have to say, having spent the weekend at the Munich Security Conference, it feels like those rifts are increasing. There was a lot of talk of Iran, INF, multilateralism, global leadership, the list goes on. I'm sure many of these topics will be the subject of future out-of-order episodes, but today we're going to be doing a special episode on the Huawei and 5G debate. One purpose of this podcast at GMF is to identify and examine challenges within the transatlantic relationship. Today, I want to focus on the growing tension between China and the U.S., which has been front and center, particularly within the trade realm, but more recently in some ways with this Huawei and 5G debate, which is essentially the U.S. just trying to block wireless operators from buying Huawei gear for 5G networks being built all over. And those are over concerns that doing so would compromise these countries' communications infrastructure. Vice President Mike Pence was at the Munich Security Conference and had the following to say. The United States has been very clear with our security partners on the threat posed by Huawei and other Chinese telecom companies, as Chinese law requires them to provide Beijing with vast security apparatus, access to any data that touches their network or equipment. We must protect our critical telecom infrastructure, and America is calling on all security partners to be vigilant and to reject any enterprise that would compromise the integrity of our communications technology or our national security systems." To help us understand what's at stake, we're joined today by two brilliant colleagues of mine, Janka Ortol, who's a transatlantic fellow with the Asia program in Berlin, and Jonas Prelo Plesner, non-resident transatlantic fellow, also with the Asia program based in Copenhagen. So both Janka and Jonas have been following the Huawei debate closely. Janka, I'm going to ask you to kick us off with the view on the debate from Germany. So the debate here
1: is moving in uh, interesting circles at the moment. It is a bit of like a like a meeting that we have joined late. We don't really know what has happened in the beginning and we're trying to catch up. And we, we know we have a gut feeling that this somehow really has to concern us, but we don't have all the facts yet. So this is how the debate has kind of emerged from, is this really a problem for us? To a, oh my goodness, what are we doing? To a, oh, now we urgently have to act. So what we are seeing at the moment is that the German government, um, who's in the process of auctioning the frequencies for the 5G to the operators, is reconsidering whether to include Huawei technology or not, whether the operators will be allowed to include Huawei technology or not, and ZTE for that matter as well. And there's a time deadline on this, which is mid-March, which is when the auction is supposed to take place. And of course, the German government would like to provide regulatory security to the operators that are putting in their bids. So therefore, there's a bit of a strain on time here where we only have a few weeks left to make a decision, if not to to postpone the auction or to go ahead with the auction without the regulatory clarity on whether Chinese providers will be allowed to participate in the building of the 5G network infrastructure or not.
0: Dumb it down a little bit for those of us who aren't real tech savvy. What is the question about using Huawei equipment in the building of these 5G networks?
1: For the United States, this has been a conversation that has gone on for a long time, since 2012 at least. There's been a lot of conversation about national security and about the risk that would be involved in using Chinese technology in the networks. This has not been the debate that has taken place in Germany before, and I think this is important for a U.S. audience especially to understand that Huawei has been a business partner of all major operators in Germany for a long time, and actually one that has been valued quite highly by the Operators here. So, Huawei technology and ZTE technology is built into the networks already in the 3G and the 4G network infrastructure that is existing. So, that means that currently we're having a national security debate on top of an economic debate. So, it will be, to put it really bluntly, it would be really expensive to. Rip out all the Huawei technology that is already existing in the networks and to replace it with most likely European technology. So that's the economic argument. And then there's on this, at the same time the national security conversation going on, saying the dependence on China and the possible backdoors or the possible influence that can be exerted by the Chinese government through these networks is too significant to risk.
0: We're going to circle back on the economic components, but I want to touch on the national security debate a little bit more. Jonas, you are based in Europe, but you travel frequently to Washington, D.C. Can you talk a little bit about some of the conversations that you have and the debate here in the United States going back, as Janka said, because this isn't something brand new. This is something that's that's been a conversation for many years already.
2: Yeah, thanks. Great to be joining the two of you. I mean, I I think one thing that has it, this is broader than just Huawei. So for its a sort of In the US, under the Trump administration, it's a general sort of change in policy towards China, where there's a much more focus on great power rivalry. It plays out in different sort of domains, so much more in technology, artificial intelligence, telecoms. So Huawei, I would say, is just one piece in a sort of broader tightening of the US policy. That's, I think, the first that's important to note. And that's why in an article I wrote, I called it sort of the wireless cold wars, that it's really sort of China and the US as, as two sort of... Superpowers. China is the emerging one that has a bigger element of friction and particularly also around these issues of, uh, of technology where we'll see it played out. Then I think it's important to note that this predates very much the Trump administration as well, that under the Obama administration, several of uh, Huawei's in- possible investments in the U.S. were blocked. And so since 2012, basically, there's been a sort of open advice from U.S. government and, and through Congress as well about uh, using Huawei and Chinese telecom more broadly. So this is not something, because a lot of Europeans will see this combined with Trump and say, okay, this is part of the guy who has ditched the climate change agreement, the Iran deal, and so on. And now he wants us to sort of drop uh, cooperation with Huawei, which is... Janka just told us has had a, a long standing cooperation in many European countries on some of the existing broadband systems. But I think we should at least debunk that. It is, of course, a big part of the Trump administration's policy now, but it's also been something that's been brewing in the US for a long time. And it's now sort of coalescing together with the policy change that I highlighted as well. So I think all of these are important for Europeans to take into consideration that this has been coming for a long time and maybe. Americans are slightly paranoid about Huawei and maybe Europeans have been really naive as well. I personally really think there is reason for Europe to sort of tighten its look on this and and think about do we want to be dependent on a country uh, like China and its companies in something as sensitive as, uh, as telecommunications. We've seen it over the last decade with Russia, and gas, how we thought, oh, this is only about gas. And it's something much more than natural gas for the Russian and a political instrument, which everybody apart from the Germans seem to have realized. And I think we should be worried that we don't step into the same trap on telecommunications that 10 years down the road, we realize we need to make all these European rules to sort of unbundle us from the Chinese. And I think now is a good time to do that sort of health check. So in that sense, even though Europeans can disagree with the Trump administration on a lot of things. On this case here with China policy and Huawei more specifically, it is a good time to, uh, to do a health check.
0: Yeah, I think that's an important point that you raised about how this has been a part of U.S. administrations going back several years. This is not a Trump administration initiative. It's something that we've identified and have been pushing for quite some time. I mean, just being over in Munich, for, for that conference and, and watching the dynamics play out in the room and watching the interaction between the leaders from the United States and those in Europe. It just seems that there's not much space for cooperation on some of the big things. There's a lot of frustration that exists and it's hard to see how these leaders are going to be able to work together on some of these, these things that are You know, long-lasting, as as we're saying with this national security component to the 5G construction. Also, on Tuesday, there was a report, I believe, that came out from Britain's National Cybersecurity Center where they concluded that the risk— Uh, posed by Huawei was actually manageable. And I guess that comes to the question of the Five Eyes partners, right? The sharing of information that happens between that network. If the UK allows Huawei technology, does that pose a risk to the other members of the Five Eyes? And will that hinder information sharing among the partners? What do both of you think?
1: I think maybe we can go back to the Munich conversation just really quickly, because I think that you raised an important point there. Mike Pence's speech was very clear in basically pointing out almost a threat to the European partners, saying it will be difficult in the future to cooperate militarily if you decide to include providers that we consider unsafe in your networks. This was repeated by Pompeo when he was visiting in Hungary, basically said if Huawei is part of a 5G network infrastructure, this will not allow for future interoperability and will make future cooperation with all of these countries in Europe more and more difficult. This is a very, very strong statement because it goes to the core of European security and the way Europe has structured the security around the transatlantic alliance in the past. No one here in Europe is taking these comments lightly, but I think in Germany especially a lot of observers would like to see more explanation from the United States on what they actually see as the risk and as the concrete risks that are involved with Huawei, because you have to remember that um, there was a case in in Germany where there was a significant tampering with our communications infrastructure and um, some snooping going on, but it was not coming from China directly, but from the United States. And Chancellor Merkel's was tapped. So there is a great degree of discomfort when it comes to these issues, especially in the German public debate, when it comes to the United States. So anything that is uttered here and claimed here would need to be backed up by a lot of facts. And I think this is where the debate becomes really murky at the moment in Germany, because the facts do not seem to be on the table. No one knows exactly what it would cost. To not include Huawei and ZTE in the building the network infrastructure, no one would know whether this would cause any delays. No one really knows whether the United States is currently seeing the debate with Huawei as a bargaining chip in the trade war. There's also an executive order out there looming, which is potentially going to have an effect on Huawei's ability to produce its products, which would then have another effect on, on Europe as well. So there's a lot of unclarity. And with these additional statements targeted at the heart of European security, it makes it very difficult for the German audience and for the European audience to understand what the U.S. wants and where exactly the problems lay. I think a little bit of explaining would need to be done here to understand the reasoning behind the U.S.'s
0: approach. Yeah, no, that's completely fair. Jonas, do you have anything to add to that?
2: Well, I would have wanted to circle back on the question of the U.K., which I find is kind of an interesting model because there for years – both understood the American worry about uh, the security dimension of, of working with Huawei, but they've had GCHQ, part of their intelligence services, that have actually worked with sort of Huawei to reverse engineer their products and all the products that have come into the UK market to do that. So that's, of course, part of the explanation and the background to why they were saying, well, we still think we can sort of mitigate the security risk. So I think the UK is a sort of An interesting in between, both because they're five eyes, meaning that they're part of this sort of very tight uh, intelligence cooperation between uh, the US and and four other partners. And so, therefore, know the worries and have known them for for a while. But at the same time, I've tried to sort of work a different type of uh, solution. And here we're getting into sort of the technical realm as well. Can you do that? It's the more fundamental question that you just don't trust China and its companies and saying that they, in a, in a situation of crisis, this is still an autocracy and an authoritarian system and uh, and with Chinese legislation that uh, does compel Chinese companies to work with their intelligence agencies if needed, is there not always still uh, a possibility, even though you don't find the smoking gun? Because the Brits would say sort of pragmatically, we've been reverse engineering their products, we can see that there, we haven't found anything, so on that basis, we could c- continue to do it. I don't think, uh, on the report by the way, I've heard that it's preliminary it's not the final say in, uh, in the British case, but at least they were sort of an interesting case because they've done way more than other Europeans to sort of at least work on it. And then I just had a sarcastic remark to the German saying if they're so worried about the. US snooping, then you should be double worried about the Chinese. I mean the Chinese are not your friend at all so that's that for me sounds like a slam dunk case for Germans who have their Stasi and Nazi history and are rightfully worried about invasion of privacy from government and others, then why give it to the Chinese?
1: On the, on the British part, maybe to, to pick that up again, yes, it is a preliminary report and it's not a final decision yet. And I think there is also a lot of murkiness in the British debate at the moment because you have very conflicting views that are coming from the island, uh, not only on Brexit, but also on Huawei this time around. So I think it's really hard to say whether chips will fall on the British case, whereas it's actually really hard to say on many of these cases because not even the United States has formally banned Huawei from their now. I think that's really important to also point out that this has not been, you know, it has effectively, this is not effectively not a player in the market, but it is not officially banned. That executive order has not been signed yet and has not been publicized yet. So I think that's important to point that out. And on the German case specifically, um I'm not saying that I buy into the argument, but the German conversation here centers a lot more around the economic argument. And China is a key business partner for Germany and has been for years now. And so any decision that is being taken on excluding a major Chinese company from the German market would have significant ripple effects for the German economy. So this becomes a broader conversation. It's a bigger question for Germany than just a question about excluding or including one player. That said, all of the players have said that the security of the 5G infrastructure is the top concern. So that's why everyone is weighing the options. And even though the Deutsche Telekom, the largest telecommunications company in Europe, it is, has said that whatever the political level decides, they will be able to deal with it and they will go with it. So there is a great degree of willingness to go thoroughly through this. The only problem, as I alluded to in the beginning, is that they're a little bit pressed on time in terms of being ready for the auction in mid-March.
0: So, Younger, you're bringing up this really important point, the other side of the debate, and that's the economic one. We've already seen some economic repercussions for those who have put their foot down in terms of allowing this equipment into their infrastructure. Um, Australia and New Zealand have already blocked carriers from using Huawei equipment and we're seeing some repercussions. There was a report today that one of the major ports in China is now excluding, it's got a ban on coal imports from Australia. And China has warned of consequences for countries that block the equipment. This is the same thing that's happening even to a greater degree with the Canadians and hostage diplomacy. What is the part that we should be watching in that regard? If all of these countries are so economically integrated, isn't there a fear that banning this technology could have major, major repercussions for their economic partnership with China? But so could including, of course,
1: (laughs) making yourself more dependent on the Chinese market. It's a bit of a catch-22 situation here.
2: And I think the Chinese are basically slowing the level of their sort of stupidity in their state-driven diplomacy because this will backfire. I mean, their main argument is Huawei is a private Chinese company. It's not state-owned. That's factually true. But the fact that they were backing it up with such sort of state-driven retaliation, both with Canada, where in retaliation for Canada arresting the CFO of Huawei, then holding back civil uh, Canadians on sort of spurious ground in, in, in China. So all of this, I think, backfires. The same with the Chinese ambassador to the EU that has been Uh, sort of threatening uh, the EU that shouldn't believe slander about Huawei, that you need sort of the the state to back that so much up really sort of shows how much the state is involved in the whole Chinese economy. I mean, my example would be that when Volkswagen with the whole diesel emission scandal, I mean, they have basically been fined. I think a company executive has also been jailed in the US. It's not something the German government protests. It's it's a company case. So the Chinese basically make it a state-driven case and thereby really undermine what they're trying to tell the world as well, that you should just treat this as ordinary free trade. And, it, and it's not. I would say five years ago, I would have been more open to to giving Huawei a little bit the benefit of the doubt. At that time, the Chinese legislation hadn't been tightened as much in the intelligence law as it has now so that they really are obliged to work with the Chinese intelligence forces. So even the ones that are saying, oh, but we don't see the smoking gun. No, but you basically see that there is the legislation for Huawei being compelled to work with the Chinese government. You see the Chinese government going all out, defending even with economic and other types of uh, retaliation against companies, against countries. So basically that's a pretty sort of nasty uh, Chinese system you see. And is that the one you want to have to control the internet of things in your country? I mean, I also think we need to underline that the difference from 3G and 4G that already were really important backbones in our our electronic and telecom lives. 5G will really be the one that will run the internet of things that you can run things at really high speed your fridge uh, at home and so on do we want to accept the risk that there could be a backdoor so that it's the Chinese that could switch that on and off in, in all our countries
1: I think another element of the conversation though is also when looking into the future we currently have two European companies Ericsson and Nokia that are very competitive in this market that could provide the same kind of technology and that are present in all of those networks as well that are providing the European operators with technology by allowing them to compete against an actor where it's relatively clear that their pricing strategy and their risk assessment is not purely based on market economy principles, let's put it like that. We expose them to a competition that is, frankly, just unfair. If Europe is interested in having technology companies that are capable of leading in in future markets and providing Europe with a certain degree also of technological autonomy, there is a great interest in strengthening these companies from a political perspective. And we see that in the debates here in Europe quite significantly, that there is a discussion about industry policy, about where we need to stand and where we need to invest. And I think this is also a part of the conversation that needs to start and will get even further discussed in the months to come. Huawei is just one of those symptoms here to see where there's definitely not a level playing field for these actors when it comes to the European market because the European market is very open and it has allowed Huawei to be a big player here and it's not actually played by the rules. The question why Huawei technology is so much cheaper is not often asked in Germany, but I think we should get to that point that we ask why it actually is that it is allegedly so much cheaper because we actually don't know all these prices so well because these are usually pricing that's taking place between the operators and the providers.
0: To that point... What is the conversation taking place right now among the mobile carriers? Are they lobbying the various governments? Like you were saying earlier in the conversation, like, there's just not enough information out there for us to be making smart decisions on this, and maybe the United States needs to provide more about why it's in the position that it is. These mobile carriers have the information and could possibly be some of the ones able to provide the best background for those policymakers who need to be making the decisions on the national security front.
1: So the operators, which are four in Germany, which is uh, Telecom and Telefonica and Vodafone, and then a new player called One and One, they all have, as I said before, Huawei or ZTE and or ZTE technology in their network structure already built in. They're all very happy with it. So they have argued that there is no reason on their side to exclude Huawei from anything. They have not had any security concerns. They are actually, on the contrary, quite happy with the service that they have been provided with and the prices that they have paid. Um, So... From their side, they're all pretty clear in terms of they have no interest in excluding Chinese providers. That said, there is a sincere interest, of course, to have a uh, 5G network that is secure. None of these operators can afford any damaging risks um, that uh, in, in, in their networks. And there is another like little sideshow going on here that it has something to do with the United States, which is that T-Mobile, affiliate of Deutsche Telekom, is currently trying to merge with Sprint in the U.S., which is... Is a $26 billion deal that they want to conclude. And uh, various people in the United States have voiced concerns about the mother company's involvement with Huawei. And so there might be a change in tone there depending on how that decision is being taken in the United States.
0: So is the concern between 4G and 5G that we will just be that much more reliant on 5G? What are they building with the 5G infrastructure that the concerns are being raised now over when it was 3G, 4G and there was satisfaction? I think Jonas has alluded to that earlier, that the possibility that are provided through 5G,
1: an interconnectivity or connectivity that has never been seen before, which will allow things like autonomous driving or remote surgery, just provides a huge amount of more opportunities, more security risks that are involved. So this is a, a quantum leap in terms of communications technology and in terms of technology as such. So it has to be much more carefully assessed in what can be done with this. Now, the United States has already been more careful with the 4G infrastructure already. This has not been something that has been the case in Germany, but I think there is a significant rethink taking place here as well, also with regard to the overall relationship to China. For example, the German Federation of Industries has come forward with a much more cautious paper saying we need to reassess our risks when it comes to cooperating with China. So there is a process going on, but Germany is basically just a few years behind in the conversation that had already taken place in the United States earlier. Yanga,
0: in a piece that you wrote recently for GMF, you said smaller EU member states want joint European position on the issue, which would shield them from the direct gaze of Beijing's potential anger. 5G has become yet another litmus test for European unity.
1: Yes, what we are seeing at the moment is that in this environment of a bit of an unclarity of the facts and and competing opinions about the security risks and competing opinions about the economic costs that are involved, it shows yet again that a joint European position would be much more helpful for everyone that has to make these decisions. Because... Of course, it is easier to retaliate against a single player that is an outlier in the conversation than it is if all 27 or 28 European member states are working together on this. So I think that it would be much appreciated by the smaller states, but also, in fact, by Germany, if a joint European position could be found. But it is inherently difficult because the process has already been so balkanized, basically. There has been so many different players involved already, and 14 operators have already chosen to go with Huawei technology in Europe. Jonas, you've already mentioned as well, Portugal has been one of those players that have been already deeply involved with Huawei. So it will be more difficult to find that joint European position in hindsight. It would have been a process that should have started Long time
2: ago. I agree. I mean, if we go back to the analogy I made earlier with sort of ru- dependency on Russian gas, where we then needed gradually to make new EU legislation to sort of unbundle or unhinge our sort of dependency on Russian uh, gas and, and gas in particular, I think there's a similar situation here that we were already gotten to a certain level with the Chinese in, in, in some states that make it hard to now uh, pull the, the brake. And of course, the countries that have already taken the decision, like Portugal, to jump in the hot water uh, with the Chinese and Huawei on 5G, they're of course going to protect that investment and would not want to see a sort of joint European position because it would undermine that investment. So I, th- I think we'll, we'll see a lot of sort of token war as is very, very typical in Europe with different sort of member states uh, positioning. A way this could be done is like the Cybersecurity Act that EU passed, which could be extended to also sort of uh, look at critical infrastructure and telecoms and then give a sort of joint advice for the European Union. And that could create what Janka was alluding to, that sort of shield for smaller countries and saying, hey, it's not us, it's the EU that decided, in the same way as the sort of third energy package, which Putin was sort of fuming on about at the EU-Russia summit. Then member states could say, well, but that's just something that happened at EU level. So of course, that would be sort of convenient to have some of this. For some, I think others will really sort of try to sort of block this to show um, Beijing that they're open to its overtures.
1: And I also think that we have to find some middle ground in between that important economic conversation but also be aware that the security conversation is one that has to start taking place in in Europe. And it's one that we have been shying away from for a long time. But the potential dangers that are posed by authoritarian states to the national security and to the security of Europe is quite significant. And it is a debate that we have tried to avoid for quite some time, try to just sneak out of. And I think we can maybe find a way for this 5G Huawei case to, again, model ourselves through and find some legalistic off-ramp here that goes back to the Chinese national intelligence law and to say, well, that is really hard to get into compliance with European regulations and all of that. But honestly, at a certain point, some really tough questions will have to be asked on the European level when it comes to the relationship with China. And I think we're exactly at that turning point at the moment.
0: Yanka, I think that that's really the big question at the heart and center of this. Even though it's economic and tech at the forefront, really at the base, what we're looking at is Europe's approach to China in the national security realm. let's really become a new change in their approach um, and their relationship with China. And we'll see how that develops further. Last words from the both of you. What should we be looking at in the coming weeks, coming months? Is there anything on the time horizon? Is it the trade talks with the United States? Will, Will we see the heat rising in the trade dispute as that lessens? Will we see developments on the Huawei front? What is the next big thing we should all be looking at?
2: I would look out for a couple of things. I mean, first on the trade deal, and here I would look out in general what what's going to happen. Will there be a deal between the US and China? But of course, also Trump's propensity to cut a deal and include everything in it. So meaning that in an earlier stage, he sort of excluded SETI, uh, the other telecoms, Chinese telecom provider, from pretty damning sanctions by the US Commerce Department. And could something similar happen to uh, Huawei that as part of a sort of a bigger deal, Trump would lift the break on Huawei? It's I don't necessarily see, but it's not impossible. So that's one thing I would be looking out for, how it will Huawei play into the bigger trade game between the US and China? Then, of course, in all the European countries will be, uh, as Janke mentioned, there is a timeline in Germany and a deadline. We'll see how this all plays out in in, in different countries. So I think we'll we'll track that. I think that's uh, important to see both in the UK, Germany, and and other countries. So those are some of the things I would look at. And then, of course, thirdly, I would look at the whole hostage diplomacy and Canada around uh, Huawei. We'll get a lot of insights if and when Huawei's CFO face a trial in the US, and there'll be sort of an, an open court where a lot of sort of the inner workings of Huawei as a company will be laid out in, in public court. I think that would be a, another th- third interesting development to follow.
1: From my perspective, uh, the most important thing, of course, for the German debate at the moment is whether there will be a decision on uh, the exclusion of Huawei as a provider for the technology in before the 5G auction in mid-March or in after, which is both is still possible. And it will be like the next few days will show what the German government will be leaning towards. So that's the first and most immediate decision that we will have to look at. And then if I agree with Jonas, I think we have to look at what the trade war and the potential solution or potential deal that could be cut, what would be in it and what that would mean for Europe. Because of course, this has implications and significant implications on on Europe's trade relationship with both the United States and China. There are some other dooming things on on the horizon, such as the car tariffs that Trump might actually add to the German conversation, which will probably also not be helpful in trying to get uh, a better
0: better support from the
1: German government.
0: Well, I look forward to having you both back on the podcast in the future. Thank you so much for joining us today. I know I certainly learned a lot and really appreciate you taking the time to be with us and to explain this uh, complicated situation to the listeners. And with that, have a good one. You too. Thanks, Sharon. Thanks, Sharon. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast. The show is produced by Zachary Tarrant and me, Sydney Simon. The hosts are Peter Sparding and Rachel Tausenfreund. And a special thanks to Albin Fauchon and Marie Lowell for production assistance.